You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. And welcome to another special Dragon Con oriented episode of the Needless Things podcast. I'm your old pal, Phantom Troublemaker, and today we're going to be listening to the Masters of the Universe panel from Dragon Con, uh, the Dragon Con American Sci Fi Classics track. Uh, was what this one was on, and those guys told me, hey, do you want to run a Masters of the Universe panel? And I said, hey, I sure do, but I'm going to have to have my co-host, Mr. Bo Brown, with me because, you know, I can obviously talk about any nerd stuff for an hour. That's not a problem. An hour is not enough time to talk about anything, really. But Masters of the Universe, while I love it, it's not my thing. And it is very much uh, Mr. Bo Brown's uh, thing. It's his passion. It's his toy collection. I mean, that's that's it. He knows the stuff. And I need a play-by-play guy uh, for my color, if you know what I mean. So he was the guy. I mean, I had to have him. And I said, you know, I've, I've got to bring Bo in on this one. And then I asked Bo, and he was thrilled to do it, despite the fact that he runs the puppetry track and is busy 24-7, non-stop, uh, for the year leading up to Dragon Con and uh, the year following it as well. But he came in and sat for an hour. Uh, also sitting us with us was Gary Mitchell, who is great to have on any panel. I highly recommend him, even though he is locked down by the American Sci-Fi Classics track, so he's going to be tough to get a hold of. But uh, great talker, knows way more about everything than I do. And finally, uh, we had as a very special guest, William Stout. If you don't know, William Stout is a world-renowned artist. He is the man that designed the Dragon Con logo that you see uh, on the corner of this podcast's picture little icon dealy that pops up when you play it uh and also everywhere related to dragon con the the crest looking dragon thing he made that uh but more importantly for the purposes of this panel anyway he was the production designer on the 1987 masters of the universe live action movie starring dolph lundgren that's crazy uh, when right after Joe and Gary talked to me about doing this panel, Joe sent me a message saying, hey, apparently the production designer for the movie is going to be at Dragon Con. Do you want me to see if we can get him? <laughs> I said, yes, of course I do. And he said, okay, well, we, we think he'll be there. So we set up the time and everything, and if, if he can make it, uh, he'll be there. If not, he won't. So and and that's the thing is you know these these guys these artists and actors and creators and all they're even busier at Dragon Con than I am. There's never any telling what's going to be going on at any given time. And for one of these guys to come and appear on a fan panel, that's just something that I felt was really really special, and we were very lucky to have him. But I had to plan either way. Uh, I had to be ready to just me and Bo and Gary have a conversation uh, with an audience about Masters of the Universe and our own knowledge of it, but I also had to be ready if William Stout did have the time for the panel to feature him as much as somebody of his standing deserved, because let's not get, you know, let's not get confused here. You know, I think a lot of myself, but I'm a guy who talks about stuff. Uh, I think a lot of Gary. Uh, Gary's a guy who does a whole lot of nerd stuff and is also a guy who talks about stuff. And Bo, again, does t- 
tons of stuff, but as far as Masters of the Universe goes, he's a guy who talks about stuff. William Stout is a guy who did stuff, was directly involved with the license for multiple years, who is still... Uh, has an awareness of what's going on, as we'll find out in the panel, and has an amazing amount of insight. Uh, very easily could have been his hour alone, but I, I had to be prepared either way. I had to be ready to go with me and Gary and Bo and just talk, or I had to be ready uh, to, to sort of delve into Mr. Stout's world and see what kind of information he had for us. And it was interesting because we started things off and I did introductions, which uh, weren't recording, uh, un unfortunately, because I'm still getting in the habit of using my little voice recorder to record everything. Uh, thankfully, I remembered to turn it on once we actually started the panel. But I was doing introductions for Gary and myself and Bo. And right as I finished Bo's, Mr. Stout walked into the room. And I was able to give him an introduction as well. So right as the panel was starting, I still didn't know what kind of panel I was going to be doing. But I think I handled it pretty well. I'm not going to lie. I think I did a great job. Uh, Bo certainly did a great job. Gary certainly did a great job. And Mr. Stout was fascinating. And it was just, it, it was a very, very special panel. I, I feel like I keep having these experiences where I don't know how things are going to get a whole heck of a lot better. Like, wow, this was so amazing. That was so amazing. One special thing about this particular panel, uh, it just sort of keeps going. I feel like I'm setting myself up for disappointment because they're all so excellent in one way or another. Um, but anyway, now it's time to talk about Masters of the Universe. So hang on, sit down, uh, get your Stinkor figure and your Moss Man to counteract him. Uh, grab yourself an adult beverage and uh, check it out. See what you think. Uh, we had a blast doing it. And uh, once again, I want to thank Mr. Stout, William Stout, uh, for coming out and being a part of this panel. It, it really did make it an amazing experience. <laughs> And the masters of the universe. I am Adam, Prince of Eternia and defender of the secrets of Castle Grayskull. This is Cringer, my fearless friend. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to me the day I held aloft my magic sword and said, By the power of Grayskull. The man understands. <laughs> well, anyway, we're here today. Uh, we're going to discuss Masters of the Universe. Uh, we're going to talk about... That's right. Uh, we're going to talk about the cartoon. We're going to talk about the uh, various toy lines. Uh, we're not going to talk about new adventures. Uh, we're going to talk... No. We'll, we'll talk about new adventures a little bit. They had one good line. Uh, but uh, you know what? Honestly, I think we really need to kick off... Uh, with talking about the 1987 movie. Has everybody seen the Dolph Lundgren? Uh, so I'd, I'd like to ask uh, Mr. Stout, how, how did that come about? How did you end up working on that project? I was originally hired to storyboard the film, and uh, we had an English production designer. His name was Jeff, and uh, he's a real character. Uh, the director of the film, Gary Goddard, is the best pitch man I've ever met in my life. I mean, he could sell saltine crackers in the desert. He's just amazing. <laughs> and he was doing a uh, dog and pony show for the Mattel people. And uh, and he finished up at the in the art department. And I could tell when they walked in, when Gary and all the Mattel brass walked in, they were so pumped up, they were so high, they were so eager to get this film made. And Gary finished his presentation, and he turned to Jeffrey, like, and Jeff, what do you think? And Jeff looks up, he goes, it's not going to be too fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, popped that balloon. <laughs> and uh, shortly after that, Jeff left, and he recommended that I take over as production designer. And... Uh, I don't know if they have jungle drums in Hollywood, but uh, I was made production designer at 10 a.m. At 12 noon, I was getting congratulations from all over the industry. I, it was bizarre. I mean, they knew before my family knew. It's, it's really strange. 
But uh, it was exciting. I uh, designed uh, two other films, a Godzilla film that never got made, and then uh, Return of the Living Dead. So uh, I, I knew how to production design a film. And I have something for you to sign later, if you don't mind. <laughs> and, and and I designed about half well, all the Martian stuff for their remake of Invaders from Mars too. So I I started work uh, designing the film and uh, one of the things uh, we got to do we shot at Lair Studios which used to be the old RKO Studios so I kept hunting around for old relics from Citizen Kane and King Kong but didn't find anything. But uh, I took two sound stages and knocked out the wall between them and built that throne room set, which was the biggest set that had been built in Hollywood in about 30 or 40 years. And so everybody in the industry came to see that set, and they all wanted their picture taken on the throne seat because that was the throne to all the power of the universe. Sure, and, and it's Hollywood. Great photo op. <laughs> But uh, Sylvester Stallone was one of the guys who came by to see the set, and he watched them uh, shooting for a while. And at one point, he turned to the director and he and he pointed at Dolph Lundgren. And he goes, "You gave that guy lines?" Hmm. <laughs> 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 Not a ton, though. Did you um, did you have sort of an awareness of the franchise prior to to working on that? Was I mean, just I had in seen your the toys. I didn't collect them, but I, I'd seen them, and. Uh, I was disappointed in the toys in that I hated the fact that they all had sort of interchangeable bodies. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, oh, yeah. in the film, I wanted them to be, each character be really distinctive. And I had to fight Mattel on that because they wanted to have designs in the film that would be easy to make into toys. Here, try and use some okay. uh, one that'll come in a little bit. Okay. Okay. Can you hear back, back here now? Okay. Here, I'll let you have this one. So, um, I. Better. Better? Okay, good. Okay, I got uh, nods from some in the back. One of the things I got to do that, that gave me no end of pleasure is I got to hire my friend uh, Jean Giraud to help work on the film. He's better known to most people as Mobius. Mm-hmm. He was living in Santa Monica at the time. And uh, so I threw him some real tough design projects, and he came through like an ace. He was just uh, amazing. And I ended up uh, designing all the costumes for the film as well. And originally, Shira was in this in the original script, and I had designed a, a costume for Shira, but she got uh, cut before we even started shooting. Well, you, some of you guys probably know this. Is that art around? Oh, I've got all of it. Oh, wow. oh. You just excited everybody tremendously. Actually, I just got approached by Gary Goddard and some other people to do a big book that just collects all of that pre-production art. Oh, that'd be fantastic. So, so that's one of the reasons I kept it. I thought it would make a nice book someday. Absolutely. Or DVD extras that yeah. you know, have it. Well, that's what through. was frustrating. I really... It was frustrating that they didn't ask me to do any of the commentary on the DVDs because I was on set every day. I'm a hands-on production designer. Mm-hmm. And so I know where all the bodies are buried. And, <laughs> and, and I have a, know a whole lot of master's trivia. Uh, I mean, one of the most bizarre things is, <laughs> if you remember in the near the beginning of the film, there's Robbie's Rips and Chicken, which is where Courtney Cox works. And that was a, a real fast food place. And then I designed a, a plug to go over there actual signage and stuff and, right. and repainted the place uh, and we shot it and but that actual place that's where the Rodney King beating took place oh my gosh later obviously that's a, that's a bizarre <laughs> historical footnote yeah to I know wow it's really really bizarre but the the other thing is I hit on invaders from Mars I had found this great location for the house in in greater in invaders from Mars it was on uh, a place called the Paramount Ranch, oh. and uh, used to be owned by Paramount Studios until some idiotic accountant forgot to pay the one hundred dollar fee one year, and it reverted to the state. Oh my god! So, but because it was owned by the state, I I looked like the golden boy because I came in and said I know the house to for Courtney Cox to live in. We shot there. It was ten dollars a day, <laughs> as, as opposed to typically. If you shoot in someone's house, it's it's about three thousand dollars a day to shoot. So the producers were ecstatic. Well, I used that same house for Masters of the Universe. It was the house for Invaders from Mars. I also used it for Masters of the Universe. It was originally built for the Cary Grant film, Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House. Ooh, I love that. Movie. Yeah. So. Well, that's I, um, the movie. 
itself is an interesting footnote in Masters of the Universe. Uh, Bo, do you want to... I, I know you're dying to talk a little bit yeah. about how things started with Masters. Uh, how so? Like, uh, well, just the uh, how how Im- how important Masters of the Universe is oh. to the combination of toys and animation. The the Absolutely. what a momentous. Uh, yeah, I mean, Masters. It, you know, and, and and what 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 you don't like about the the toys was the interchangeable parts, but that's what enabled the toy line to succeed as well as it did because it kept production costs low and it allowed them to um, to really create all of these these characters and and um, at, at, a, at you know and afford it. Oh, I understood um, that. Sure. But Todd McFarlane approached them because mm-hmm. he wanted to have Mattel do spawn toys and he had uh, prototype designs and they said no way no one would ever buy those would be too expensive to produce well it turned him into a multi-millionaire yeah. and, and in a way and that's, that's actually a very interesting point because um, Masters of the Universe uh, revolutionized things because it took advantage of a uh, change in American law to tie a toy line into a cartoon, a syndicated cartoon on television. And at the same time, Todd McFarlane revolutionized toys by doing what he did. Right. He was not satisfied with the way the toy industry at the time was making their toys, and and he made a change. Yeah. So, so both landmark lines. Yeah. And I think that in spite of the the shared parts, um, you know, what attracted me to to Masters as a kid was, in spite of all those shared parts, there's such an incredibly beautiful variety of characters in Masters. And you, I mean, it's so hard to compare. And when when you were growing up at that time, and your you know your toy options were uh, Transformers and GI Joes and things like that. Well, the Transformers they're all robots, and the GI Joes they're all army guys. And and so to me, having the lobster guy and the skeleton guy, and you know, just really the sky was just the limit. Don't with, forget Stinkor and Stinkor, you know, like a skunk guy. Why not? Right, throw him in there. And and so to have a universe that has room for all of those vastly different types of characters, and then so as as you know after. Um, you know, Masters ended and New Adventures started, and I was like, "Oh, these suck," and I didn't want to have anything to do with those. The natural step for me as, as as a toy fan was to go to Ninja Turtles because I thought the Ninja Turtles line was sort of the the inheritor of that just huge variety of characters. You know, all the different weird little mutants that they released later on in the line of, of Ninja Turtles reminded me of what I liked so much about Masters with the, just a huge variety of, of visually different characters in spite of the, the shared parts, obviously. Well, and even visually, Ninja Turtles, you know, uh, mm. share, they've got that, that I'm about to poop stance. Yeah. <laughs> just, like, just like the Masters do. Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, G.I. Joe was kind of my big thing, but Masters of the Universe was always this kind of like magical. I mean, obviously, I watched the cartoon every day. I think every single person in here, we watched all of the 80s cartoons, regardless of whether or not we could collect the toy lines. Because I'm sure everybody's parents, uh, depending on what age you are at the time, everybody's parents had a limit. You know, you, okay, look. You can collect this line. My dad was in the military. It's funny, so my wife obviously. does the same thing now. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're running the puppetry track and not a toy panel. Um, <laughs> I don't there. think he meant that as a burn. No, I didn't at all. <laughs> He's running a track. I'm just sitting here talking into a mic. Um, With a mask on. Yeah, well, exactly. just, hey, just real quick, did anybody see the fraggles? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, he's met the lady that made the X-Wing come up out of the swamp. Yeah. Think about that. Catherine Mullen, who also played Moki on Fraggle Rock, was the puppeteer on Yoda's right hand. So when Yoda lifts the X-Wing out of the swamp, that's that's her hand, and she's yeah. here. And that was... He uh, made that happen. Really amazing. <laughs> we so, should all be very glad to be anywhere near this guy. Yeah. That's being touched by awesome. But uh, but Masters was always this fantastic thing that, that blended everything together. The fact that it blended science fiction and fantasy and didn't blink an eye doing it. Yeah. Like, there was no... Well, maybe it'd be a little weird if somebody was creating robots with a magic spell. No, it wouldn't. No, it's not. do that. Do it. That's just going to happen. Yeah. Uh, maybe this guy's neck getting broken, and then he gets it replaced with a giant cybernetic neck. But that happens magically. Sure. Sure. Let's do that. <laughs> and, and also, the other big thing about Masters of the Universe uh, that I, I think very few other cartoons really covered is the diversity of the characters. Uh, you didn't know by looking at them 
what they were going to be. You couldn't really just look at a character design and know if it was a good guy or a bad guy. Everybody was some kind of crazy freak. So <laughs> you you had to get to know the person to understand, you know, what what they were. And you couldn't judge a book by its cover. Yeah, I mean, I think, look at many faces. I mean, yeah, he's got yeah. a monster face, but he's one of the good guys, you know. Man. Yeah, Moss Man, Moss totally man. weird-looking guy, you know. And in fact, looks exactly like Beast Man, except <laughs> green. <laughs> Oddly enough. I wonder how that happened. I wonder how that happened. <laughs> but, but he looks so Actually, it's Beast Man with mage, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> and a piney scent. You know, it all started because Mattel wanted to put out Conan. Right, mm-hmm. right, yep. and then Conan was an R-rated film, mm-hmm. and that, so that totally scotched that. So that's what uh, caused them to produce wow. Masters of the Universe, which is a, a weird thing because now you can go into Toys R Us and buy toys from R-rated movies. Oh yeah, and 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 blood toys. Yeah. yeah, with yeah. big blood, mm-hmm. yeah. and entrails and whatever else. Yeah, Walking Dead well, figures available now. You reviewed that one Prometheus toy with the. Uh, Oh gosh! Before eight o'clock, so I can't. Uh, yeah, the mail we, next year uh, we will have an adult themes and toys uh, panel, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, adult. <laughs> You'll be there, sir, and I appreciate that. Not adult toys, adult themes. Yes. Toys. Yes. <laughs> yes. Let's be clear. Yeah. Still before ten, right? Anatomically correct toys. Yes. 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 Exactly. Um, but I, I, Masters, it was just a very special thing, and then. It was so much different from the other stuff out there because G.I. Joe, uh, in the beginning anyway, was very uh, reality-based. All all of the vehicles and weapons and everything else were, it was stuff that existed. Stick around. 7 o'clock, we'll get more into G.I. Joe. Um, and then, you know, Transformers were, again, robots. I know lots of people love Transformers. When I was a kid, I loved Transformers, but it's a robot. I, I just can't feel as much. Yeah, that was really the big thing going against Transformers is I had five because one truck. Right, exactly. Just wasn't practical. Whereas Masters of the Universe figures, because they were so cheaply made, that was their big advantage yeah. is they had a reasonable price point. They were big toys compared to everything else. They were big, bulky dudes, and they did manage to make them all look different. Uh, and and now with the revival of the line, we have the four horsemen who have taken the same concept of shared molds, lots and lots of shared parts, but they've managed to go in with detailing and paint and design and make these figures look incredibly different. Does anybody collect classics? Yeah, it's awesome. So good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so he gets he gets emotional about the line, mostly because we're both getting ready to pay a lot of money for Captain. Oh, October! God, what the? Why are they releasing that thing right after Dragon Con? It's absurd. Uh, and you got I mean, I'm gonna want like what twelve packs of Horde Troopers, and you know, I can't do that. <laughs> hmm. In the castle, yeah, it's, yeah. it's in the yeah. castle. Although it doesn't dump into the dungeon, which is really stupid. No, it doesn't dump into the dungeon. They, they've made a lot of changes uh, to the castle, but see, I'm okay with that because over the years there have been changes to Masters of the Universe, like there have been to yeah. any franchise, and it's something that you have to do to keep things alive. Uh, as, as Bo mentioned, New Adventures might have been a little bit of a misstep. Uh, it was an interesting direction. Well, no, I, I well, space think, is perfectly acceptable yes. in He-Man, but it was space it was the art style. He-Man. To me, as a kid, I was I, I wasn't a fan of of anime and things like that. And I was like, this looks like Robotech. I don't like Robotech. That's what the animation style reminded me of, and it turned me off. And then the figures were kind of puny, and uh, you know, and I wanted I want my he-Man to be He-Man, you know, and I and I love. Don't get me wrong, I love um, the the classics New Adventures He-Man. I love him. He's got this sort of like Flash Gordon space guy look to him that I really really like. But the the original New Adventures toys were just not what I wanted from He-Man. See, I actually dug the New Adventures toys because they had the improved articulation. Because that was one thing when I was a kid. Uh, and, well, and to this day, articulation is very important to me. Uh, I want more than five points. And when New Adventures came out, they had more articulation than the prior series had had, but they lost all of the charm of the originals. Uh, Just the designs were not as inspired, uh, which is a funny thing to say uh, about a line. You know, it's, oh, look, it's a skunk head. Oh, look, it's a skeleton head. Oh, you know, but somehow they they just missed the mark on the, The underwater guy in space? 
Didn't work for you? <laughs> I will say, the new, I mean, Hydron, the, the, he looks fantastic. And like, as much as I didn't care for New Adventures uh, as a kid, I think that the, what the Horsemen have done, re- sort of bringing those designs back around, I think Hydron looks fantastic. I think New Adventures he made looks fantastic. Let me ask you guys, because um, there's got to be some out there. Are there fans of New Adventures in here? And it's fine if it... It's a no judgment zone. No judgment, sir. Let, let me know. Hang on just a second. Is this like second. an AA meeting? Hi, I'm It is. <laughs> let me borrow your wireless for a minute. We're going to do a little audience interaction here because I like doing that kind of stuff. Uh, we're all open-minded in here. I'm, I'm not going to say no to anybody about what they like. What what new adventures? What's your deal, man? What do you like? The thing I like about it was not visually his story. I like the story. I like the captain development and taking He-Man out of Otonio and how he have to deal with not being a prince and have the store uh, manipulate his surroundings. Mm-hmm. I was steampunk He-Man two years ago with that same concept. If He-Man was in a steampunk world, the store of Grayskull would manipulate his look and his surroundings based on that world. And that's interesting. Cause well, and the power the power does that. The power you know gives him the tools he needs to handle whatever threat. Snake armor, he man, boom. Uh, the unfortunate. We never got to see the um, the they designed horde armor, he man. We never got to see that. Unfortunately, you can see. I think in the book, the big uh, the big book has the original design for it. They didn't they, get to they, it. They in, won't in ever the, publish in a wide release for some strange reason. Anybody else? New adventures? Anybody else want to? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bring it. What you got? One of the things that I liked about the new adventures was they finally took a slightly more realistic idea toward toward Prince Adam. I mean, in the original cartoon, he didn't. There wasn't very much physical difference between him and he man. Hey, you got a tan. <laughs> beyond that, there's no. Beyond that, it was basically the same. There's no. There's no way you you couldn't obviously tell it was the same guy. They both don't hang out with a green tiger. <laughs> oh wait. <laughs> And wear the exact same sword in the exact same sheet. Yeah. Yeah, but one's wearing a pink shirt. Well, I think, and I think the I'm a huge fan of the 2002 series, yeah. and I think that they. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, before well, before we get that, we can keep being on new. Yeah, just, I will say real quick, 2002. That that's my He Man. Yeah. Yeah. What? Uh, no. What I liked, I, I didn't see a lot of the new episodes, but I saw a few, and I liked about them was that there. The story was it was more story focused versus oh, yeah. the old series, which I liked and loved as a kid, doesn't quite hold up. Sheer is better. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 like, as as, a, as an adult, I mean, these stories are really like it's like really that they have too much comic relief mixed in yeah. that isn't funny comic relief. It's just stupid. And so this new one kind of like. Kept, it was focused more on story and less like look how zany this character is. Right, right. Well, there's too much. You don't need Cringer and Orko. Yeah, Orko's okay. enough, and that's what they, you know, they, they, and that's what I think where 2002 really shined was they were like, we'll take it was, you know, the people who were working on it grew up with He-Man, and it's why the Four Horsemen are, are so amazing. Is, is you know, it's come back around. The people who grew up liking these properties are now having the chance to design them. So when they were doing the show, they were just like, well, we'll, you know, I mean. The, the the clearest parallel to, to He Man is is Captain Marvel. You know, they're I mean they're all I mean they're ex- they, they say a magic phrase, they get struck by lightning, they get powers, and they get their powers from a mysterious solitary person who lives off somewhere else. You know, I mean like really, you know. Um, so so they so they took a cue from Captain Marvel and, and they made Prince Adam look younger. You know, and so there, there's more of a physical change between between Adam and, and He Man. Um, and I'll say one of my favorite Skeletor moments comes out of New Adventures. At one point, they're having a meeting somewhere, and Skeletor's standing there waiting, and He Man comes up on a ridge behind him and goes, Skeletor! And Skeletor turns around going, Ah! That's what I hate about you, good people. You had a perfectly good back shot on me, and you didn't take it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I love that moment. That was like, Mwah. And I think I think it's an interesting point. Have oh. you never been to prison, He Man? <laughs> not ten o'clock yet. It's not ten o'clock. Again, stay tuned for next year. Uh, but come to the Puppet Slam. It's definitely after ten o'clock. And uh, storytelling, you know, obviously, uh, the Masters of the Universe cartoon, the original one, was literally a toy commercial. You know, some yes. very some very talented people worked on the show, but the main point was to sell toys. It was before the '90s, where uh, 
really intelligent, uh, long-form storytelling was starting to sort of work its way into cartoons. And actually, on the movie, uh, definitely more story-focused than anything that had been done in the cartoon as far as the, the uh, characters and, and their motivations. I mean, obviously, Skeletor wanted to rule the universe. They kept that intact. But how, how did the, the story develop on that movie? Oh, well, it was written by uh, David O'Dell with a lot of input from the director, Gary Goddard. Gary Gary had a lot of past with uh, Mattel, which actually I did, too. I did the box art for the Big Jim toys. I did the box art for SWAT and for Heroes in Action. But, uh, and Gary also, it was his first, actually, it's still to this day his only film as a director, but he headed Landmark Entertainment Group, which was the big theme park design uh, company. Uh, is third only to uh, Disney and Universal, but uh, so he was heavily involved in the story, and he, he's also a big comics fan, big Jack Kirby fan, in fact. Yes, yeah. Gary had a huge collection of Jack Kirby original art, but uh, Mattel saw the film as a way to comp- to save the toy line and revive the toy line, and so they co-produced the film with Canon Films. Now, Canon Films was was started by two Israeli guys, and. It was extraordinary. It was uh, an indie film company, but at their peak, when the most films any of the major studios had in production was eight with Warner Brothers, Canon had 86 films <laughs> in production. It was just, it was crazy. And they, they actually had Menachem Golan, who was the president of Canon Films, was also a film director. And he directed a, f- a film called Delta Force with uh, Chuck Norris. And they actually had a black tie opening for Delta Force. <laughs> People in tuxedos to see a Chuck Norris movie. I just loved it. And afterwards, they had this gigantic bash at the Canon Film Studio building where every single parking level had a different restaurant there with free food for everyone. And the mayor of Los Angeles spoke at that event because that film company meant so much money for Los Angeles. Sure. So they decided to, to go in 50-50, and Canada said, you know, Mattel, you put up the first half. I think the budget was $37 million. And so Mattel put up the first half, and we burned through that, and Mattel said, okay, Canon, time for you to put in the second half. And they said, well, we don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so Mattel had to pony up for the rest of the budget of the film. What oh, they didn't wow. realize is Canon was going bankrupt at the time. Yeah, yeah. So They had a pretty bad movie-making habit that started <laughs> getting expensive, I guess. <laughs> um, can, can you talk maybe a little bit about um, sort of, I mean, because there were budget issues on the film, and, and so were there were there design elements that, that you felt were just real hard things to give up? Yeah, well, I, I designed Eternia. Yeah. <laughs> that was really hard to give up. You know, that was just, but I wasn't surprised because on every film I've worked on, usually about a third of the film gets cut in in pre-production. So that that wasn't a big surprise. But uh, the thing that was gratifying for me is at one point during pre-production, Mattel executives were walking through the art department and they're going, oh, oh man, that's going to make a great toy. Oh, that that character, that's going to be awesome. That's going to make a great toy. And they're doing that and I stopped them. I said, guys, you hired me to design the film. You did not hire me to design next year's toy line. Those designs are all mine. And they're like, what? And panic. And I banded together with the other designers I had on the film, and we stuck together. They threatened to shut the film down eight times because we wouldn't sign contracts giving up our rights to those characters. Oh, wow. So Mattel had to cut a deal and pay us royalties on the toy line. Which wow. established a real precedent in Hollywood. Now we know why the legalese was so strict on the uh, character contest, yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think there were rules like you, they couldn't kill anybody, so they had to create. You had to create characters to kill. Right. Right. Um, uh, yeah. Exactly. They they didn't want any conflict in the film, mm-hmm. and and Gary said. You know, without conflict, there's no yeah. drama. There's no story here. We have to be able to do damage to someone, somewhere, somehow. And so at a at a certain point, uh, when Mattel found out that they were financing the entire film and they got the reports in on the... They were, they were in financial trouble. They came back to Gary and they said, Kill anybody you want! <laughs> Just destroy the hell out of them! Because we need this film to be a success. 
I think it's a good time for a little trivia. What do you think? For fabulous prizes. Um, what do you think first? Uh, where, did, where did that guitar come from? All right, all right, all right. Who can tell me where the character of Megator first appeared? Yes, sir. Italy? <laughs> Italy? Wait, you're supposed to know you're the one asking. Could you picked the question. I figured you'd <laughs> could, you, could you specify, please? <laughs> I was going to say Earth. <laughs> it's Megatorino. <laughs> I can't. I, I, I know that they only came out overseas, Italy, that area, but I cannot tell you specific cities. We'll take Italy. <laughs> Step to the front, please. And he comes with a bonus head. <laughs> Again, next year, adult themes in toys. And, and that's an interesting uh, entry into the Masters of the Universe line because uh, Megator uh, was, is a giant figure that we never got. And that's another thing that's great about the new line is they've gone back. A lot of people have complained about some of the concept characters that they've done or some of the more obscure things that have been made. Vicor and Demoman and, yeah. Yeah, and fighting filming. But you know what? That stuff's cool because to me, it's all Masters of the Universe. If you go back and look at the original line, there's plenty of characters that were maybe a little too silly, but they're just part of the line. It's part of the aesthetic. It's part of the creative process what? that brought the line. And, and if, it's, if it's a fantasy, you know, and, and you know, Masters is this sort of un- unique science fiction fantasy blend. But if it's fantasy, of course they're giants. Of course they're giants. You know, so yeah, have giants. Okay. <laughs> And of have the giants ride dinosaurs with laser guns shooting out of their faces. You know, I mean, yeah. Duh, yeah. And, and of course, one of those giants lives in the center of the planet and uh, holds the essence of. That's right. That there. Because you thought Atlas had a rough job. <laughs> um, but as the years have gone by, Masters of the Universe, I think it's had uh, it's it's been a little difficult for Mattel to sustain it for some reason, and I honestly don't know that I can explain that because I think we all agree it is something very special, very different in toys, and maybe that's why it's been difficult to maintain, because you have to get a certain type of creative mind uh, to run that sort of thing, and it's almost, I think, too big a concept. Yeah. It's it's almost too much to play with. I think it's important to have... uh, some some restrictions and and with Masters of the Universe, what's so great about it is what I think makes it so difficult to manage as a franchise is almost anything goes, and I think Mattel, uh, as, as much as I love Mattel and a lot of the things that they do, uh, they seem to have uh, trouble focusing on direction sometimes. I, I mean, I think that the line. I mean. The, I, Going as far as the roadmap was originally going was really ambitious, and you know, and they they were originally planning on having classics go through what like 2018, 2019. Oh no, no I'm not even talking uh, about Scott Knightley. As far as I'm concerned, Scott Knightley is a hero. Yeah, I, I, if it wasn't, there would if, be there would be no classics if it wasn't for Scott. Period. If, if you have read his uh, entries that are up on the site. Uh, you'll understand he is literally the reason that we have a line now. Yeah. Because Mattel is not in Mattel the business. Care. Yeah. They're, they're not, not ma- they're not making any money on Masters. Mattel's not well, over there going, Mwahahaha. The subscriber line? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes he is. And if if it weren't for him we wouldn't have it because Mattel's not in the business of making toy lines that don't have an attached property, a cartoon or a television show or, or something. Uh, what what we're not going to do today is talk about the new Masters of the Universe comic book. You know what? There's another good one. Do we have any fans of the new comic in here? Really? Oh, you're you're a tough one, aren't you? Or you're an easy one, I guess I should say. <laughs> That's very yum, 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 Right. It's just Masters, so you'll eat it up, which I guess you're I mean, I'm, I'm still buying it. Room. I'm still buying it. Doesn't mean I think oh, it's well, that yeah, great. We're, we're all fans. We're yeah. chumps. That's what we do. Yeah. No, take my money. I like it, but... Teal is insufferable. 
She's terrible. It's the standard comic book nerd mindset of, well, maybe in ten more issues it'll be better. Yeah. <laughs> right. Now, well, and that's the thing. That's what keeps you going through any property, I think, is that fear that all of a sudden it's going to get awesome and you're going to miss it. And you can go back and read it or watch the episode or whatever happens. But if you're not there, if you have to hear about it on Facebook, you screwed up. <laughs> like, that's the worst feeling. Like, oh, my gosh, the second season this thing got so good. And you're like, oh, no, what happened? I'm not the guy saying that. And now there's a gap in your collection. Yeah, and that's that's the other, well, especially with the, the subscriber line, which is why you have to subscribe. How many subscribers do we have in here? How many cherry wow, pickers do you have in That's here? why this is going to be the last year. <laughs> I think uh, I don't know. Okay. I think if we got this year, I mean, like Scott said, if, if everybody who subscribed last year subscribes again, except for that Yoda dude, except for um, Yoda Freak Master, he he bought, he did a, um, a, a a subscription matching. I mean, apparently this guy's just made out of money, but he. To, to, excuse me, for those of you who may not know, um, we have to get a certain number of subscribers for the line to go through every year. So everybody has to... According to Mattel's website. And, uh, and so there was sort of like a, there's a, there's sort of like a rally when we get close to the deadline for the subscription and this, this guy, Yoda Freakmaster, um, was, was matching people's subscriptions so that if somebody bought one, he would buy another one. So he had, he bought like 30 something subscriptions or something crazy like that. Um, so if, if you want to help him out because he, I mean, he really, really helped the subscription happen. If you want to buy one of the karates he's sitting on just to, just to help him out, please do. Cause he's no. having a really hard time moving those karates. No, just think don't. of it as a donation. Don't no. think of it as getting a toy. Just or, think of, just thinking about, that he's sitting there. yeah, I'm going to be honest. The fighting foe men pleasantly surprised me. I, like I, fighting fighting right. I don't, I don't like their bio. I don't like them as, I don't buy them as pirates. Um, I, I like, uh, the, the, the guy and the girl as just like, Attorney and pilots, and then I think that the blue guy looks cool. The gar guy looks cool as in, in the horde. It's time for another prize. Who can tell me? And I, I know for a fact there are at least four of you in here. Who can tell me who the fighting foemen were originally? Saw that hand first. They were the pilots from the. I think it's the monogram or rebel monogram. That is correct. That, well, that's visually where they come from. Oh, right. That's not where they the term fighting foam. Well, no, I meant the design of the figures. Okay. I was talking design of the figures. Boom, he gets two. Yeah. <laughs> you need both hands. I don't have two, so uh, I'll spray you with Hulk spray instead. <laughs> this probably isn't going to do you any good. Oh, actually, my poor little snout on him is deteriorating very badly. Uh, yeah, well, please take pictures of that one as it falls apart as well. <laughs> Mine's still in good shape. Let's all thank Big Lots for that. Yeah. <laughs> I actually thank me because I bought them at Big Lots. I picked up a couple extras for friends. I got to picked up an extra Marzo and oh, and I and I my King Grayskull I got at San Diego, so he didn't have the sphere. So I bought a King Grayskull just for the sphere. <laughs> That is dedication. Well, because I'm going to have the castle, and then i got the sphere stand, and then there's no sphere, and I was sad. How many people aren't really familiar with the current subscription line of Masters of the Universe? Okay, then this is we worth saying. That, yeah. oh, all right. You yeah. should be, because I can't tell you what it is, but something incredibly special is coming up within the next year. Really? Oh. Wow. Wow. Well, That's that alone, I think, made this panel worthwhile. <laughs> yeah. Um, what the subscription is, I, okay, everybody in here probably collects toys to some degree, right? Yeah. Okay. Imagine your favorite toy line uh, is no longer available at Walmart or Target or Toys R Us or your favorite comic shop or anywhere. And the company that makes it says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we will still make your toy line, but you have to agree at the beginning of the year that you're going to buy every figure that we make. We're not going to tell you what they are. Well, we're going to tell you what half of them, a third. Uh, of them are. A third. We'll say a third. third. We'll give them a third. Uh, we'll tell you what a third of them are, and you're obligated to buy the rest as well. And we also have to hit a certain number of people 
agreeing to do this before we can make it. Imagine the stress that would create in your poor little toy collector heart. Yeah, it's hard. Imagine around San Diego Comic-Con every year when they have their big panel to determine what's going to happen and to do the reveals and have the subscriptions and you're just sitting there like, do I get to buy any more of these or is the one over there on my shelf the last one I'll ever have? Which, obviously, there's no such thing as the last one ever because someday there will be another Masters of the Universe cartoon. And But... This one will give us everybody. Yes, exactly. And that's what's so special about this one is it's all-encompassing. Uh, it's something that has kind of set a new standard for a toy line. I'll get to you in just a second. Um, it's kind of set a new standard in toy lines because it has taken all of the various incarnations. Because all, all uh, G.I. Joe has had many, many different incarnations, which if you come back at 7 o'clock, we'll talk about. Um <laughs> But they, they've all gone through changes. Transformers, I don't even know how many series there are of Transformers, especially if you include the Japanese versions. Who knows? But this toy line is incorporating the original uh, Filmation He-Man. It's incorporating uh, the mini-comics. It's incorporating sure. 2002, incorporating Princess of Power. Uh, it's everything all on the same scale, all in the same design aesthetic. Uh, and, and they all, it's the best-looking collection that I have uh, in in my in the Phantom Zone, uh, it's it's amazing and it's quite an accomplishment that one do. Oh yes, really. Um, they're they're great. They they look amazing together. And there's yeah, the Phantom Zone. Uh, no, yeah, that's what I was saying. Yes, yes. Um, and and they've really uh, so this is something special that's happened. As much as we may denigrate the way that they've done a lot of the things that they've done, uh, it's it's a landmark thing to have happened in toys. And it's interesting because you know so many years ago, uh, thirty of them I believe, uh, you know Masters Universe changed the toy industry, and now it has once again made a, a huge change and done something completely new and different that we haven't seen. And it's very interesting that. Right around the same time as this has happened, uh, the resurgence, uh, or not resurgence, uh, the development of toy lines popping up on Kickstarter uh, has yeah. also happened. The Horsemen have a Kickstarter line um, that they're doing with a, Gof- is it the Gothropolis line that's their Kickstarter? Or uh, no, they're doing it, it's, it's a bunch of birds, I haven't really looked at it. <laughs> Sorry guys, if you like birds, check it out. Hasbro's done the same thing, subscription stuff for Transform. Yeah, and if you look at Hasbro's subscription model, uh, Mattel's actually doing us a favor. Um, I, I'm going to get the question from the gentleman in the fancy chef hat, because I really like that hat. Thank you. Uh, your well, again, my sir. question was... If oh, you project. Yeah. I'm staying up I'm here. Um, my question was, is, so if I'm understanding, it's like, it's like a Kickstarter, and they have to get so many, like you pledge... Yeah, you you, you you register on the web. You go to maddiefletcher.com, and you go and you purchase the subscription, and it's like a twenty dollar deposit um, that they put on your card. And then uh, every month, you get charged, and they ship you figures in the mail. But but if they don't meet that threshold, then it doesn't happen. Yeah, so it's like it's like a Kickstarter in that way. Yes, actually, the um, this year they had three different subscriptions that they were trying to get through. They had Masters of the Universe again. Uh, they had a DC Comics action figure, uh, which is a continuation of a retail line that they, uh, honestly, they, they mishandled terribly. Uh, so it had to move to a subscription service. And uh, they were going to make a uh, six-inch scale Ecto-1 uh, with lights and sounds that the, and everything the else. figures could actually fit inside. Well... The new figures well, the that new they were figures making that they could made fit inside could them, fit yeah. inside. Yeah. The existing figures could not. But uh, the Ecto-1 and the DC uh, subscription did not make it. And they are, well, the subscriptions are not going to happen. I'm sure they're still going to produce the DC figures because once they've tooled the figures to show off at Comic-Con or whatever, they basically spent that money. Yeah. So, And if the, if the Masters line hadn't gone through, but it did, yay, Masters, uh, then we would have gotten, I think, the first four figures that were going to be released, and they would have been released quarterly over the next year. But it went through, which means we get Modulock. Yeah. Yeah. That Modulock. Yeah, it's so I, yeah. good. Yeah, oh. really, if, if you guys... <laughs> I, I had two. I bought two Modulocks. That's awesome. Yeah, if you even if you guys aren't he's, really, a, he's all new tooling. If, if you oh. guys aren't really interested in collecting the new line, you should go online and check out just pictures and stuff of them because they really are fantastic, They're beautiful figures. And taking again, taking that old method of sharing parts. Uh, now, granted. 
Not not we've in Modulux's case, and not in Mantena. Mantena more is more Roboto legs Mantena. than we really need in a line. Like I don't know how many cybernetic thigh high boots you really need <laughs> in one toy line. Apparently, well, a you're lot. making them out of magic like that. Well, right, exactly. They're magic cyborg legs. Well, we got the Horde Trooper seven new robot legs. So we'll yes, I'm so excited yeah. about Horde Trooper two pack. Two pack in October, and that's Why? another cool thing that they've done is they these guys really do again. As much as we might gripe about the line, they really have done things for the fans. We got a two pack of Eternian Palace Guards, um, Snakeman generic Snakeman Warrior two pack, and yeah. and they have interchangeable heads, so they are meant to be troop builders. They you know this is something when you're a kid. You get a man at arms figure, and if you want palace guards, you get more man at arms yeah. figures. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of all you got. Uh, so it's really cool. They they recognize what we want, and I think within certain financial uh, limitations and and just logistical things that we can't even understand. Because I mean, honestly, we you know I I've, I've been collecting toys you know essentially since I was born. But I I don't know how that industry works. Actually, you you've probably got a little better insight into just as far as the Masters of the Universe line went. Yeah, it was total chaos. <laughs> <laughs> how did actually how did that work out as far as because they did end up making uh, figures of characters from the movie, right? Did uh, but they were significantly different from the designs in the movie. Was was yeah. there how much input did you have in, into that, or was it purely them just taking your designs and kind of I don't want to say butchering them, but well, we use the term bastardize. Yeah, oh, there you go. That's better. I like that. <laughs> Still a B word. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, other than our designing the designs for the motion picture, we had no input into the toys whatsoever. They just came out. I saw them. I got them. <laughs> Now, I have a question I'd like to ask the two of you. Of the Masters of the Universe is obviously very, very important to both of you. And that you both love this toy line and that world and that universe. I think this is going to be an awful, awful question of some sort. No. It's going to really cause us anguish in some way. Well, it might. I want to know who's your favorite character and who's your favorite toy. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I'll, um, I'll go ahead right now. Um, I, the, mine's... Ooh, no, actually, you're right. Okay, favorite toy, favorite toy, Trap Jaw, uh, 2002 Trap Jaw. That is actually my... 2002 Trap Jaw? 2002 Trap Jaw. That's my favorite figure in my collection. Uh, like, out of any lines at all. Out of G.I. Joe and Star Wars and everything else that I collect, that 2002 Trap Jaw is, is a beautiful figure. Um, it has... That line, that 2002 line, are some of the most artful, beautiful toys that I own. The the design aesthetic on those, which once again is the four horsemen, uh, it's incredible. The detailing, the paint, these are some of the highest quality, nicest to look at figures I've got, which is how they were able to transition that line into just statues. Right, and it was great when, when they transitioned them into the statue line, um, they were suddenly freed from the limitations of the box size. So like all of the 2002 figures that came out, they all had to be a certain scale. Uh, and then when that ended and they started doing the faction line, they were able to do things like make Clawful bigger than normal and make Stinkor smaller. Uh, and they really sort of took advantage of that to really play around with with more of a sense of scale. So Clawful is just giant. And then Stinkor is like a little extra smaller. And, and I really, I, I, I love the stations. I think they're beautiful. And my favorite character is uh, Duncan. He's he's awesome. He's I, I always like that solid dude that's always there when he's needed that is the respected, just the rock. Well, he's, that's, he's the Batman of... That's that's yeah, always, yeah. Attorney is Batman. Yeah, yeah um, plus he builds stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Duncan's my favorite character. Trapjaw 2002 is my favorite figure. Oh, man. I I, I love so many of them. Um, I love Granamere. Um I love Even your Granamere. Uh, he's amazing. He's freaking awesome. And 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 if you guys want to read my my Granamere review, um, please go over to the Needless Things blog and read it. Um, I had a lot of fun writing it. Um, but uh, yeah, he he adds Granamere adds a certain um, epicness to. I mean, not that He Man needs to be that much more epic because it already is so as just as the universe but just have it just as far as like looking at your collection on the shelf you have all these really amazing colorful you know beautiful characters and such a variety of them and then you have this dragon who's just like 
huge. I mean, he's he, he's sitting down and he's like this tall, and the, you know the rest of the figures are this big. And he's and he's like you know he's he's kind of a tubby dragon. He's like seated and he has sort of these long chicken legs, which I um, think uh, this weekend we can all sort of identify with the tubby dragon. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I have mine up on my shelf in, in my in my living room, and his legs sort of dangle off of the uh, off of the the shelf, looking down onto the into the room and everything. And he just has this. There's this sort of like smugness on his face, like he knows he's the baddest dude on your shelf, and he, he just he, he adds a just certain level of, of, uh, of epicness to the collection that I just love looking at. Um, and then as far as a favorite character, I don't know. I like all of them so much. Um, I I really I love the horde. I, I love 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 the horde. Um, visually, I think Mantena is one of my favorite looking characters. Um, he's just so unique, and and there's just something about the horde that you know they really sort of ramped up the sort of horror aspect of, of Masters with with the horde bad guys. Um, but as far as like the actual character, yeah, like um, how the person was, we're breaking your brain. I know. I like You're all, all so getting to see this um, puppetry for the rest of the weekend will be ruined. No, well, it's fine. Um, <laughs> it's all separate brain compartment. Yeah. Jeez, uh, oh, I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I. I mean, I really like He Man. I like Adam. I mean, I like. I mean, what's the problem with power? Watch that episode. You know, when when He Man uh, thinks he accidentally killed this guy, and he just, and he decides to quit being He Man. You know, I mean, and it's. It's really good writing. It's really, it's a really powerful story about like the, you know, with great power comes great responsibility kind of stuff. And um, yeah, it's really, really good. And he's, you know, he's he's like Captain Marvel in a lot of ways. And um, he has this responsibility thrust on him, not only just as the responsibility of being prince, but then you know when he's bestowed with the power, um, you know, he's he. What's the what what kind what is the responsibility of being the most powerful man in the universe? You know, and and having and channeling all of this like incredible magical power, um, and to not abuse it and not let it corrupt you. Um, I, I think we should all be thankful that uh, he made a different wardrobe choice from the other most powerful man in the universe, Doctor Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so laugh at the furry bikini if you will, but it could be much much worse, my friends. And I think on that note. That's an appropriate American sci-fi classics way to close. We're, we're not American sci-fi classy. No, uh, classic. We got about we got about nine minutes. Do we? Wow! I tell you what. Uh, do you guys have any questions or things you'd like to point out about Masters Universe? Hang on, I'm going to do a runaround again. Cool. Thank you, Mr. Williams. Now. All right. I saw your hand first, Batman. Okay. Uh, my questions to you. Uh, there's an apocryphal tale that the Masters script was originally a New God script. Is there any truth to that? I think his faces are actually... Uh, uh, yeah. You know, I never heard that, but it wouldn't surprise me because Gary was such a gigantic Jack Kirby fan. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Okay. Thank you. I mean, yeah, visually, I mean, visually, there's so much of a connection when, when Skeletor's forces invade uh, Earth. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's dark side and boots. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna hang out with the most powerful chef in the universe. <laughs> um, Are you yeah. Chef Allen? Is that your Chef Allen costume? No, I'm, oh. I'm Chef Ron. Oh, I didn't see the front. That's awesome. <laughs> um, okay, I just for the to, glory uh, of yeah. cooking. I just want to, uh, Mr. Williams, to speak some more about this, the the visual style that you kind of were thinking of, and kind of like what you were thinking of the Masters universe because it, it kind of references so much kind of like Egyptian mythology it references Greek I mean it has all these different visual references I just wanted to see what you were kind of thinking of when you were working on your designs uh, uh, I, I tried to have a design template for each of the different worlds and uh, one of the, the big references where Skelter lived was uh, a Frank Lloyd Wright hotel in Tokyo, Japan actually was the point of departure for that uh, for my original designs for Attorney the ones that didn't make it to the film uh, were based upon uh, Venice, Italy and uh, an Art Nouveau 
And then, uh, but the most fun for me was because I had done so many fantasy films, was getting to design the Earth stuff, like Robbie's Ribs and Chicken, just real mundane, ordinary stuff. But that was it. Uh, it, when I was a designer on Conan the Barbarian, it, we did what we called undesigning things, which is, okay, if, if Egypt 3,000 years ago looked like this and 6,000 years ago, 6, years ago looked like this, what would it look like 12,000 years ago for Conan? And so we would undesign things, almost like animation and backwards. And so that was that was an interesting design process to go through for that film. And I used a little bit of that with uh, Masters. And what about the costumes? Costumes, uh, I let the the name of the character and the function and and their powers sort of dictate the way they looked. Uh, I I didn't feel I had to adhere to the toys because there was too much similarity in the toys and the audience, the movie audience if, if they had never seen the toys had to immediately be able to identify each of the characters so each one had to be very distinctive the most compliments I got were for the back of Tila's costume <laughs> yes sir, thank you for that <laughs> Mrs. Chelsea great Field. contribution to society yes hey guys, how you doing? this might be a little off topic but I just want to say one of my fondest memories as, as a child, was getting to play with massive universe figures and watching the TV show itself. Uh, what I wanted to ask you, it doesn't seem that the Cartoon Network, the, the recent adaptation that was um, a few years ago, it didn't have the same magic or the same, uh, you know, oomph, I guess, as, as the first one did. Why do you think it did or it didn't? And if they're going to readapt it or do it in the future, what do you think needs to be done? Um, I I love the 2002 series. Um, I, I think that the opening titles pretty much tell the whole story right there. It starts out exactly like the you know hi, my name is Adam you know and it, and it starts out and then boom and then the guys come in and it's all jumping around and blur lines of people you know ever there's very low gravity on Eternia and everyone can jump really high. Um, but uh, I, I I I don't know. Um, I really liked it. I think you got to get into some people's characters more. I think that they, um, you know, they got a whole episode about Mechanic and feeling lame. Um, you know, and uh, I, I think that they did it really well. I think that the people who are writing it had a passion for the original property and, and did a really good job. Yeah, I've got to agree with you on that. Um, that the 2002, to me, is a, a much more cohesive and epic story than what we got on the Filmation cartoon. But I think maybe what you're talking about is... It, it didn't have quite the same charm right. as as the original show. Uh, that one was... Yeah, there's definitely a, like sort of a wink, you know, from He-Man the whole time in the Filmation series, definitely. There's a yeah. little bit of a, you know, that sort of smirk of his. Um, and I, I do agree that maybe that was missing from the I think it's series. a matter of the, the writers trying to sneak story and quality in past the commercial. Yeah, that's true. Well, what one of the the big things I think with the original cartoon is even as a kid, I never really had a sense that anything bad was really going to happen to to He Man or the good guys, um, and and that was nice. Honestly, it was comforting and it, and it was it was fun. And the two thousand two show, while I wouldn't necessarily call it gritty. Uh, it was much more serious, and there was kind of a feeling of impending doom. And while that created a more interesting narrative, and it created more drama and gave more opportunities for character development, uh, it, it's it's a different experience. It's it's more satisfying as a narrative, but it's not as satisfying to that little kid inside you that just wants you know He Man to drop a boulder on Skeletor, but Skeletor is okay afterwards. You know. I mean, I, I think the episode where believe the Skeletor totally would have won in the original series if he wasn't surrounded by idiots. Ah. No, because I think Skeletor was kind of an idiot too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, look, not Frank Langella. I want to no. be clear. Movie yeah. Skeletor yeah. was movie Skeletor will win. If yeah. you want your proof that movie Skeletor was awesome, go towards the end of the movie yes. when Skeletor is taking He Man prisoner on top of the building. All of his horde troopers are running around trying to grab He-Man. One of the horde troopers trips over He-Man's leg, falls on his face, the next cut, and this is something that I believe, I haven't seen a, I haven't seen a story behind this, but it's in the film. I think it's something that 
happened that was not supposed to happen, and they just left it in. The next shot is Frank Langella just <laughs> laughing at his incompetent goon, <laughs> which is what Skeletor should do. Yes. Last question. Last question. Better be a good one, or you get Hulk spray. Speaking of Skeletor and you know, speaking to the design of him, to this day, when you look at tabloids, you know, every once in a while, like once a month, at least one of them will run a story about how you know oil workers dug into hell and released the devil, and you'll see the you'll see Satan's face in clouds. It is almost every single time a cloud rendering of Frank Langella as Skeletor. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that movie more times probably than it's, even the director. The I remember seeing those, seeing those on, as a little kid and being like, eh, just look Skeletor. <laughs> yeah, beautiful work. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy with that. It was awesome. It was such a good time, but we barely scratched the surface. I, I, I we, we didn't touch on hardly anything. I feel like uh, it was a great talk, and we had some fun interaction with the audience. And obviously, William Stout was awesome. But man, I, there's so much more we could have covered, and we will next year uh, at Dragon Con 2014. Uh, I don't know exactly what form a, a He-Man-esque Masters of the Universe panel might take, but I feel pretty strongly that we're going to have another one. And yes, we're already planning now, which is crazy pants. Uh, that's really all I've got for today. I'll be back on Wednesday with another panel uh, episode of the Needless Things podcast, the G.I. Joe panel, which holds a special place in my heart. But for right now, I want to thank Gary Mitchell. I want to thank Mr. Bo Brown. And, of course, William Stout. Thank you so much for coming out because I'm sure you're going to download this from Stitcher or iTunes and listen to it. But, uh, anyway, it was a pleasure working with all of you guys. And uh, for you Phantomaniacs, please check out NeedlessThingsSite.com. You can find me on Facebook as L Phantasmus. That's with a P-H. Um, and you can like the Needless Things page on Facebook where I, I try to do stuff. But, man, they really don't want those pages to be any good for anybody unless you're paying money. And I don't have money to pay. But anyway, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for checking out Facebook. Thanks for checking out NeedlessThingsSite.com. Thanks for checking out the DragonCon American Sci-Fi Classics page on Facebook, because I know you'll do all that stuff. And finally, thanks for listening. I love you guys. We'll see you next time. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com.